0: G'day guys, welcome back to the Dylan Friends podcast. This week, my old player manager, Matty Bain. Bain, has been an AFL manager now for over 10 years, and I thought this would be a super week to get him on and have a chat about what it's like to be a manager, how it all works, and especially with silly season upon us. How all the trades, delistings, and contract negotiations go down? So Matty gives us a bit of an insight into how the managers go about their trade in finding good deals for their players, how clubs approach him and talk about potential trades... And what is even in a contract in terms of triggers, bonuses, or clauses? Very insightful stuff. Can't thank Bainey enough for his time, and I hope you enjoy the show. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some lighthearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Matthew Bain, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, my friend. Um, Normally I say, you know, this one's been in in the making for a while, but um, it has been, but it's been the other way. You have been hustling me to come on the podcast for a long time, Um, and now I've got you on, and I'm very excited because you're a great man, and um, there's plenty to learn from this one, especially this time of year, because it's when you come into the biggest power mode. You're very busy, headphones are in, and um, it's game time for you.
1: The AirPods are in. Thanks for having me, Dil. Well, ever since you started the podcast, I've sort of been angling towards it. But um, yeah, as uh, it's got longer and longer, the uh, it's probably the guests have got better and better, so I've slipped down the order. But mate, wrap to get a call up. So thanks.
0: No, of course, mate. You are you're very high up in the list. But I thought I wanted to wait for the right time to do this because we've uh, we have chatted about doing this for a long time. Um, and being yourself uh, to set the background, you were my manager when I was a player in the AFL. Um, which we will get into because there wasn't a whole lot to manage. I suppose in my career there wasn't sort of. I think we've got contrary views on this because I'm sort of I'm I'm leaning towards the fact that you were my player manager, but in terms of my playing contracts, there wasn't a lot of work that was needed to be done in those contracts.
1: Which is fine, but that's what we're going to get into, mate, because sometimes um, they're the hardest ones to deal with. Yeah,
0: so. I think, look, this is my show, so I think you should just show me some respect throughout <laughs> it, just to remember that, but okay. what I'm saying oh, with okay, is, is the deals that we'll talk about later on, um, often it was, you know, mm. this is a deal, you know, can we have an extra couple couple dollars? No, we can't. Okay, thank you, we'll sign it yeah. um, and go yeah. on. But um, as I said, mate-
1: One so of our, our one-year deals took about eight months to do, though, and used to call me about four times a week, yeah. going, surely Sos can give me an extra <laughs> five grand.
0: Yeah, I do so, remember that. Yeah, I think you're yeah. selling
1: yourself a bit short about how much work I had to put into you, Okay, but that's all right. Okay. we'll get into it. We will.
0: Um, the big points, though, that I think are big to talk about this time of year, and just especially with managers, mate, because it's a funny one. The the management path, I think, a lot of people in the public probably wouldn't know what managers really do, besides the fact of contracts. But I suppose there's other things that that really go ahead, especially with you know the bigger sort of name players, and and we'll get into who you've got. Um, one being, you know, Patty Cripps and, and someone like that, that that take a lot more work with, with things sort of off field and, and things like that. But mm. um, other things as well, man, like the, the trade period at the moment and silly season. I've always been a massive fan. Even when I was playing, and I suppose we touched on it earlier, but signing like one year deals um, was obviously an anxious time for me. But it was actually, as a footy fan, I loved watching trade period, like as just like what goes yeah. on behind closed doors, knowing what, you know, what's happening all the time um so i suppose those sort of things as well and i think it'd be cool to break it down and and to be honest i thought i knew a little bit about this but i actually don't know a a great deal because i was probably never in those positions
1: yeah it's exciting time i think um even for the guys about to be traded or, or looking for more opportunities it's a good time in your life but um yeah especially the last probably four or five years it's grown to something pretty big you look how big trade radios become and I think it's just uh, an extension of the season. People love getting a footy fix.
0: Yeah, they definitely do. Let's um break it down though, mate. Yourself, obviously, you've been a manager now for how many years? Just over 10. Over 10 years. Been working with TLA. Yep. Originally, you were with Stride. Um, Stride, yeah. How did it we all work, in. man? How did it all come to fruition um, for you? Where did you get I- start? <sighs>
1: I probably, my older brother got drafted, he was in and out for a year, but uh, watching him go through the process with the manager, I was like, well, I was never good enough to get picked, so um, I was never going to, so I was like, it's a good way to stay involved in the industry, so I did a Bachelor of Business at uni, and then I started to get a bit of uh, work experience behind me, so I went overseas, I was lucky enough to get um, a couple of good gigs, I worked at the Monaco Grand Prix, the Tour of Italy. Um, then I came back and worked at the Commonwealth Games and from there it sort of just ticked along I had two years at Carlton working in the membership department which was good fun early de- early days um, and then uh, yeah from there I-, I met Tom Petroro who was at Stride at the time um, Glenn Archer, Ricky Ponting and some of those guys and then yeah I was lucky enough to get a gig mate and then sort of worked worked in from there.
0: It's funny you say you worked in the membership department, because I used to think that I used to actually work in the membership department as well, putting bums on seats, um, more on field performance. I was putting, you know, selling memberships actually firsthand, but I appreciate you yeah. filling out the paperwork for me on the, you know, with that.
1: T- <laughs> You're always good to the fans <laughs> so, though. You yeah. weren't good to the fans, but Oh, that
0: was the worst gag ever. Um, in talking to yeah, that... I don't know where to go. Yeah, like no. In, in terms of starting out as a manager though, you... Obviously, it's a career where you don't – there's no pathway. Like, you don't go to uni and study player management per se. Yeah. How does it work? Like, are you thrown into that and they just go, right now you've got to go out, you've got to go watch under-18s and sign up young kids? Or do they give you guys – like, how do you learn about it? How do you ne- learn the negotiations and and how to sign up Yeah, players? well,
1: <clears throat> I offered to Tommy originally at Stride. I said, I'll do two days' work experience for nothing. I just wanted to get um, in the industry and really learn about it. Uh, so, I did that for – yeah, I think it was about six, six to eight months or something like that, literally getting the coffees, mate, and doing filing and a few different things. So, um, and then I suppose from there, I started to learn a couple of things and um, I said, I really want to dive into this. So the next step was to get my accreditation, which is a pretty lengthy process. Um, it's a lot tougher than some people think it is. So I went and got that and then I, um, yeah, I probably had a year and a half just learning the ropes, off and I just tried to absorb as much as I possibly could. And then uh, from there, it was time to go and get some of my own clients. So I got uh, half gifted my first client. I remember uh, Zephaniah Skinner. Remember him from the doggies? Yeah, he's a gun. Big rat's tail. Um, He was my first ever client, which I love love him to bit. Still talk to him a fair bit. So um, yeah, and that was sort of thrown in the deep end a little bit and then just uh, went from there.
0: How weird is that like going and talking to 16, 17-year-old kids talking about management? Because I remember when I was in that position, you think you are – the king like you, you're at school well,
1: that's that's half that's half the issue yeah you, i know it didn't work out <laughs>
0: well for me but i remember how good you think you are at that stage you know you're talking about managers and and trying to get players signed up but also as well you don't want to get their hopes up if if things don't work out
1: yeah it's actually it's one of the parts i love about the job is going and meeting new people and you, you actually become really close with them as as you know um but get to meet great families and um it's really good fun it's probably sometimes you, you go to some houses and, you know, you, you meet players or, or whatever it is, you're like, mm, maybe they're not for me sort of thing. Um, and that can be a bit tedious, but um, I think you've got to see it as a really good, fun part of the job, meeting new people. and. Um, but managing expectations is huge right across, like right down to someone like yourself, currently still, like you've got to manage expectations of what clients are after and that that's the part of a role of a good manager is being able to um, to work through that. What um
0: is a day-to-day life like for a manager? Because even for me, like I know you obviously work uh, with me in, in my playing career and there's things that we you know we try and do throughout the week, whether that's, you know, contract negotiation is, is a major one, but you know, it might be sort of for me it was always big on, you know, off field. What can I do here, what can I do there, thinking about setting things yeah. up. I spoke to obviously Brett DeLeo last week, one of my Good mates, and he's transitioned into management now and, and spoke about how important it is to set up kids um, on and off the field, um, especially off-field, you know, like banking and, and learning how to manage money. What is a role of a player manager? What does your week look like? What are some of the things you do that, you know, people wouldn't know that managers do?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a bit of a misinterpretation that managers are just all about contracts because really if you, if you play for 10 years, you might have four or five contracts, maybe three, you know, how many do you have in the end? About 10. Yeah, a about 10. We had a couple of one <laughs> uh, years, um But it is a pretty small small part of it. Um, yeah, I think the welfare role at the moment's huge, being able to um, talk to players during the week and get their mindset, and we'll probably go into that um, a little bit more after. But, yeah, there's a whole heap of different things, media, uh, marketing. Um, the financial side's huge because you, you get one really good shot at making something out of footy and you've got to make sure that if you have um, a career that lasts, like my older brother did for one year or um, yeah, some of the boys you see play 15 years that you're making the most out of it because you don't want to come out of footy going, well, what's next? So um, that's important. And I think um, it's, it's a bit cheesy. It's sort of like a bit of a life coach in a way. Mm. Um, and I wish I had I had someone when I was a lot younger teach me some of the things because I just don't think schools necessarily teach you great things coming out at times around life skills so I've got guys that I manage that go to the best private schools in Australia that um, at the age of 18 don't know what superannuation is or or tax or um, you know net pay gross pay so' just teaching them about things so that um, you're not just pushing pieces of paper in front of people and saying sign here you know mm. so um, yeah just teaching them sort of little life life goals along the way
0: no, it's 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 a huge point I think, mate, because even looking back to my career now and, and not just managers and yourself, but even just being in an AFL system, like the the guys and girls that go through being AFL players, you nearly get a not not just AFL players, I'd say professional sports in teams. Like you get a bit like a bit of a degree in life, like in terms of like things yeah. you learn and things that, you know, it might take um an everyday person to to learn these things, you know, throughout their whole time. I take them to get to, you know, sort of 30, 40 years of age where you're experiencing yeah. these things as an 18-year-old and you might not actually know how important they are yet until
1: it finishes. Um, yeah, well, you've got to make decisions a lot quicker than a lot of people around you growing up. I mean, that's just because the, your income's growing a lot quicker too and you've got to make the most of those opportunities. So there's not many 21-year-olds out there that are setting up family trusts and, you know, buying a house at the age of 20 and, and doing different things like that, learning about shares. And um, so it's important to be able to um, teach younger guys about that and why they're putting money into certain places. Like, And that's just an educational thing from our point of view. We obviously have financial advisors that, that go and do everything, but um, just making sure they're understanding of it more than anything. Um,
0: talking of player contracts, and we touched on it before, negotiations, um, as I said, we we didn't have much negotiating power there, but in a lot of your other players um, on the books, you know, you've got
1: guys like who have you
0: got? You got Paddy Cripps, Sam Doherty, Luke Shuey,
1: Tim Membury, Jay Gresham, Tim Taranto. Um, Yeah, got a, got a fair few. Mm. So how
0: how early do contract um, negotiations start with that? Like, if a player signs a one year deal, uh, two year deal, you know, do, do does the club come to the player? Does the manager go to you? Does it? How did the conversation start? Is there one way it happens, or does it change up?
1: Yeah. It changes up a little bit. Um, sometimes you've got different types of players. Some players really like security in their contract. So some might come and say, mate, get me the longest deal possible. And the money's not much of an issue where others are a bit riskier and like to take them on and, um, let their contracts run out and try and get a little bit more money or, and they're not as fussed about having security in the system. So you deal with, and that's the fun part about footy, you deal with all different types. So, um, but I think when a player gets drafted, normally a club, if you're in the first probably 25, um, club normally comes pretty early to do an extension, um, and especially if you're in the top 10, they normally try and push them out early. So, uh, but then across the across the board, as I said, sometimes you know I'll be two years out, a player will be you know out in 2022 or something, and they'll start coming now and saying, well, we're happy to push him out if the player does you know and extend him. Where um, other boys will say no rummy right through to the, the back end of that year. I'm happy to sit and wait.
0: You said then about um, young players, and this is something, again, that it's, it's happened in the last few years, I think, but young players now, especially from interstate clubs, are signing those long deals for, you know, really big money early days. But a lot of people are saying that that can actually come back and hurt the clubs now because they are signing these massive bomb deals early and there's not much to grow into and it could just be taken up heaps of their salary caps.
1: Yeah, but I think they probably look at the negative ones or the ones that haven't worked that well and that's probably why they're saying that. Mm. There's some that probably have signed early and have, and have worked really well. So, And I think that's probably just the market when the Gold Coast and Giants came in is that there were so many of those players there that um, there was a monopoly f- and you'd be able to go in there and take a couple out and pay them a little bit over. So um, naturally the club said, well, right, I will sort of have to half match what you're going to get offered down to Victoria or to move back home. So we'll we'll start to... Um, yeah, increase your pay in those early years.
0: Just on that on that move back home factor, I think that that will be dead in the next two years. Um, I I have a massive theory now of being in Sydney and lived there myself, and and enjoyed how much it is a, a beautiful life up there away from footy. You get to play the sport that you love, but you don't have to be in the spotlight, and you can enjoy the beach and whatnot. I've heard from um, a few people that the the request from after the hub life in Gold Coast that Gold Coast have received of players wanting to be traded to the club is astounding. <laughs> can you comment well, on that? I think it has opened on a few that?
1: people's eyes. Yeah, well, it's, it's opened a few people's eyes to say, well, you know, it's um, all these players live in an environment where, um, you know, it's hard to go out and have a dinner and you know, have a few beers. And I know that hasn't been up in the Gold Coast um, or, or in the hub life. You can't do that. But I reckon some of them probably enjoyed being out of the spotlight a little bit um, and not having eyes cast over them all the time. But it goes both ways, mate. Like, as you said, you thought you were the king when you got to Carlton. Mm. I remember um, you strutting around everywhere on the sidelines in your tracksuit early days when you weren't even playing. Yeah. Signing autographs tastes. in the second level at the G <laughs> when you were getting a pie at <laughs> halftime. So, um, yeah, like... There's that part of it that I think players really like, is um, but it also becomes really consuming as well. So when you are playing in front of low crowds and um, you know interstate, it, it can be a bit of an attraction to go, I want to go to a big club, I want to feel what it's like. But I think some that have felt that and then move, mm. go, you know, this life's amazing because I don't have the expectation or the... Yeah, um, the public spotlight onto me, and that's probably what you felt a little bit, Gal well, I've probably experienced playing in front of big crowds, and now I've flipped it the other way. But it's it's a balance, mate. And I, I say to a lot of the players that are interstate that are thinking about moving, well, why would you? Because you're getting paid well, and you get to live this lifestyle. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was always something I think. Is if you look at um, early days with with the Giants, and there wasn't, and obviously, you know, a few guys have put in requests to move, but that's that's for different sort of issues now and setting up their lives post footy. But if you look at the young guys that sort of leave giants and, and Gold Coast early and not putting words in their mouth, but I always think that a lot of them might think, geez, I wish I sort of probably stuck out a couple more years interstate. Um,
1: yeah. But don't forget, they probably would have had opportunities to go back at other clubs in Melbourne too, that um, yeah, to, to play in, you know, in the midfield or, yeah. you know, play in different positions that might not have got picked at, at the giants because you were so stacked, but um but on the flip side, as I said before, like Sydney, especially at the Giants, provides such a good environment to live. Like you've, you've lived and breathed it. Um, so that's the trade-off. Like you don't play in front of massive, massive crowds, although the Giants' numbers are building really well and they're an amazing footy club at the moment. But um, but at the same time, you you get to live a life and go and have a swim down Bondi and, and do your thing um, without that public spotlight.
0: What are some of the craziest clauses you've seen in contracts and, and requests? You know, like people might not understand what goes into a contract. It's a it's a massive document. It's got obviously things that, you know, there's triggers, clauses and, and requests that you can put in there. What What's something that goes into a contract and how long can these negotiations go for?
1: Mate, there's not that many crazy clauses. Like, um, did you try to put a Colman medal clause?
0: I did. I put one up. For you? Put, yeah.
1: yeah. I said, <laughs> for the NAFOR? They, I think, I'm pretty sure they said, would Give you a million dollars, all that confident it wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's not many. Like, to be honest, like, if, when your player comes to do a contract, you, you really manage their expectations around money and, um, and what the market rate is for them at the time. So you probably don't get many players that think they're way above – what they should be and if they trust their manager and the, the person in charge that they, they sort of um you have really good open dialogue but it's not something that you sit there and you're that far apart on so um now nah, cl- clauses are a bit different and the afl knock a lot of clauses on the head now so if you put something obscure in there they they probably just knock it back and say this is ridiculous so i've had a couple of players that have been injured and they have you know 10 12 clauses in there to make sure that they can earn the money um should they get back and Um, play the footy they they think they can so but as far as yeah stupid clauses, not too many
0: what about triggers though like in terms of guys in contracts of like brown low bonuses Coleman medals these things is that actually that actually goes ahead
1: yeah yep best and fairest um there's probably not a hell of a lot of brown low and all australian incentives there used to be when i first started that used to be the big rage but clubs don't love putting them in there because um you know subjective like a brownlow clause you know the umpires vote for it so um it's not necessarily you know like um it's it's not necessarily something the clubs love having um in there that they put probably best and fairest because that means that the club are voting on it but um you know you, you're rated internally there especially so and I like sometimes you know some players will finish higher up in the best and fairest like a defender for example um there's no chance to get brownlow votes just the way that the system works. So um, yeah, you, you put a couple in there, but yeah, there's not as, there's probably more games triggers like as you would have expected into yours. If you play, you know, let's just say a random contract, if you're on 120,000, but the following year, if you play, you know, 10 games, 14, 16 and 18, you jump up to, you know, 140, 60, 80, you know, 200 or something if you play 18 the following year. So that's probably more the structure um, and the match payments and stuff like that, rather than the, the bigger deals.
0: And, when you sit down with these contracts um a person at the club which was which was someone i never quite saw eye to eye with but always had immense respect for was a list manager now i reckon that's yep. got to be the hardest job in footy because these guys like they obviously work for the club they love the club with with all the passion but they have to have a really interesting relationship with with players because they probably can't get mm. too close to them because they're the person that sort of <laughs> is the one that's going <laughs> like, to be giving them. Remember you arc. and
1: Sauce's relationship? You used to shit yourself every time. Oh, <laughs> <What new year? laughs> it was such
0: an awkward experience. Even like, you know, I love, I love Sauce and still do, but Obviously, at that time, you know, we both were not oblivious to what was going on. Like, I knew that he was going to sack me, and he knew that he was going to sack me. Remember, he used to me. ring
1: me? You're like, man, I saw Savo, man. I just walked the other way. It was so awkward. Oh, it, was. <laughs> it was. It was so awkward.
0: And even, you know, to, even with, with Jace, like, Jace McCartney was at the Giants. Like, yeah. I've known Jace since I was. Fifteen years old, and um, yeah. you know we had an amazing relationship. But it got to the stage where I was just like, Jace, man, can we just sit down and have a chat? Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> want it to be awkward anymore. Like, it's all. I just I said to I'm him, at. you know, it's it's all good.
1: Whatever happens, don't
0: stress. Yeah. Um,
1: and you were lucky though, mate, because you had two really good ones, uh, relationship wise. Because obviously, SOS play with your old man. So, and Jace you knew for a while. So it was actually pretty easy when, um, yeah, you can have honest conversations. I think the hard part is is if uh, list managers are keeping things from you or or whatever. So. Um, it's obviously part of my role is to to communicate that pretty well so yeah um yeah uh, it is a hard role as a list manager but um I think like anything in life mate, if you're you're honest and open with people it makes things a lot easier
0: yeah and that's that's what those two guys were really good at for me especially just being open and honest and I think you can't in in that position even you know in work and outside of footy and in even in life as long as you you know i think one of my biggest downfalls was I was probably too. Um, honest with myself of what was going on and I was very aware of like what was happening. So there was never a stage yeah. where I wasn't oblivious to what was going on. I knew it was a business and I'd rather have mm-hmm. a, a good relationship that's longer lasting than than um and fall out quickly because we will touch on the, the listing part next. But in terms yeah. of list managers that you've worked with in the AFL, um, they probably, you know, a lot of, there is some well-known ones, you know, obviously Stephen Wells at, at Geelong always gets a, a really good rap with a lot of mm-hmm. the work he's done. Who were some of the best... List managers, in your opinion, you've seen in your time dealing with?
1: Oh, I've dealt with a lot. There's actually not many bad ones, mate, because they don't last very long if, if they're no good. So, um, I uh I used to work a long time ago with Craig Vozo from from West Coast. I love working with Craig, and uh, to be honest, everyone, mate, I, I think everyone's. In the industry's uh, grown up a fair bit over the last probably five or six years when i first started list managers were quite emotional people mm. so um because footy's an emotional sport and it's probably the business side of footy's taken over a little bit i guess recently but um yeah we sort of try to take the emotion out of it i reckon the last five years and it's helped a lot because um You don't get the big blow-ups that that used to happen. And it can – it's it's stressful during trade period and you can see a couple of blow-ups here and there. But I think clubs are are much better now. If you're upfront and honest with them, it helps. So, um, yeah, and the good list managers, that's what they are. They don't bullshit around.
0: Mm, I think it's it's definitely important because one thing that you'd know and one thing I've learned in footy is you can't have any enemies in footy because – they might be argument one day, but the next week they'll be rocking up and they'll be a new assistant coach at the club. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting to see because one of the questions I did have early days, you see, you know, silly season and, and trade period and there's all these standoffs. Like how much, that was the question was going to be, was how much does ego play a role in not getting roles done? Like, is it sometimes just people
1: don't want to <laughs> do things? Not really, mate. When you've got people's lives at hand, I don't think people mess around and play with that. I think there's there's a... There's a part of it that you have to be really um, aggressive sometimes, and, and make sure you get the deals through. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a hell of a lot. We were talking the other day if there's any bluffing that happens in in sport anymore or with an agent. Like I, I, when you've got people's lives at hands, I, I don't think that um, yeah happens as much as it probably used to.
0: Let's talk about trades because something I've always been a massive. Um... I've always had a lot of questions about how this all works. Like we see, for example, um, you know, there's guys that have already retested, uh, you know, free agency now. There's trades that would yeah. be going on all year that that people don't know about. How early do some of these discussions actually start?
1: It depends where they're, they're at in their career because you can get a player that's out of contract at the end of next year that you already know that, um, you know they go part of their exit interviews over the next few weeks with all the clubs and they they don't want to leave at the moment, but they probably say, if this is still happening next year, I'm probably going to get out. Or, um, you know, there might be some conversations over the next six weeks of, you know, inquiries from other clubs and you say, no, he, he's he's not going to leave this year, but he's a chance next year just keep you you're an eye on him or, or whatever it is. But um, And then the ones that are out of contract or even some that are moving in contract, um, probably conversations start to heat up halfway through the year. I reckon um, a player would probably get a bit of an indication at the start of the year if they, they're wanting out of the club for whatever reason or they want to move back home or if something's happening. But then you get some that literally um, come out of nowhere a little bit and it's probably this time of year a player might call and say, mate, I've been having to think for a couple of weeks. but And this is extremely late for that to happen. There wouldn't be many players that get traded in this period coming up now um, that haven't at least thought about it or spoken to their manager about it. Do managers
0: i was chatting to producer sam um about this before and i think it's something funny because you you sort of hear like deals that go through and no one ever knew about it like for example that buddy franklin deal still rattled me from you know five six years ago how everyone thought he was going to you know giants or or somewhere else and then all of a sudden he just goes bang to sydney so i feel like at some stage information doesn't get leaked unless people want it to be leaked like how much of yeah. these trade deals, do, do, do nah. management use like the, the media to actually play up deals and, and build deals nah. up?
1: No, nah, I think that's a bit of a misconception. Like you, you don't really, I love the media and, and people in the media, but you don't need them to pump your players up. That's just a, yeah, no chance. But um, it's like anything, mate, like if you tell someone one thing and you're like, mate, do not tell a single soul, like... I can see you smirking there. Um, like, do not tell a single soul. And then, like, two days later, someone else goes to you, oh, so-and-so told me this. You're like, how? <laughs> like, I'm talking that's in your personal life. But, um, you know, and it just then just goes like wildfire. So I think that's what happens sometimes. A player will, you know, have a few beers with another teammate. Maybe he says something and then that flows. He tells someone else and it just goes, mate. So it's hard to keep anything confidential, Um in in footy it really really is um and there's a lot of gossips in footy and and i think like you look at the amount of journos i think there's twice as many as there is players so um unfortunately not at the moment with everything that's happened this year there's been a few good ones let go but um yeah it's hard to keep anything a secret
0: what happens if you've got two players that you manage and you're both your company and you're trading them has that ever happened
1: from the same club
0: no, no, from different teams, but you have both of them. Yeah. Or like, has there ever been an issue where yeah. you've had to step away because of conflict of interest or anything like that?
1: No. Well, I say, what I say in that position is that um, you'll never, I don't make the decision on a player. So someone always asked me as well, if you had two players at the one club, there's only one spot left, who do you go for? It's I don't make that call. So you just make the, um, you go hard at the club and you put the best foot forward for both players and the club's the one at the end of the day that makes the call yeah. on who stays and who goes. It's not It's not us. Our job's to to push their case as much as possible. And if there's not an opportunity there, you go and find an opportunity elsewhere.
0: What about uh, this season, mate? Obviously, it's been, it's been a strange one. How busy do you think it's going to be in terms of trades, free agency? Um, is it going to be bigger than normal? Will it be the same? Do <clears> we know what's happening with list sizes yet?
1: No, nah, there's been a lot of talk about list sizes, but that hasn't been... Um, yeah, worked out yet? Which is hard because we're coming up to a period now over the next six or seven weeks where it looks like we'll go into trade, maybe not knowing what list sizes are. So um, hopefully, it gets worked out over the next two or three weeks. Um, the AFLPA. So, doing does that a mean though, there. like
0: if they pick up guys and they've got a list of forty four, and then they say you need to bring it down to thirty six, they just have to? Well, chop I think they're planning all for that at the moment. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, they're planning that at the moment. Like there was talk a while ago it might be thirty eight um, primary and two rookie spots last probably few weeks it's probably hopefully changed to 40 and two but we still don't know that so um but clubs will probably hold a lot more players um that are out of contract over at the moment and say you might have to wait and see here and they'll go and bring guys in at trade that they were going to go after anyway so um yeah it's going to be a bit different this year but like everything this year you've got to change with the times don't you
0: you do you got to pivot my friend um, what yeah. what trades have you been a part of
1: in your time? Some of the bigger trades and, and and sort of trades that you're proud of getting through. Um, well, Sammy Docherty's one was a big one early days from Brisbane because that was pretty big at the time with what happened with their coach and, um, yeah, and it was they were really disappointed to lose him, um, and Doc's been a, an amazing story. Um, obviously we're both pretty close with him, but um, yeah, at the time he was. He was really, really keen to come home and be closer to family. So, um, yeah, and he went through a process. He met with three clubs, I think, in the end. He met with uh, the Kangaroos, um, Essendon and Carlton. Um, and I reckon Essendon were going through their tough patch at the time too. So I remember meeting them at Windy Hill and they had the the plan to go to Tullamoreen at the time and they were selling them a bit of a vision. But I can't remember who was. I think Goody was in the room, Bomber Thompson, I don't know if Bummer was there anymore. Um, and Adrian D'Odoro and um, it was a bit funny because they were a little bit all over the shop of what was happening at the time. So, and then, um, yeah, he'd obviously um, had a bit of a um, up and down time at Brisbane. And then we also went, um, met North, but then, yeah, he he decided to go to Carlton in the end. So, um, but that was a bit of a funny period for him because um, as you know, he, he lost his dad over that period. So um, that was a really hard uh oh, he lost they you went to Arizona didn't you mm. were you, you were still there yeah. yeah um he just got traded um and Eddie's dad was a brilliant guy He was a massive Carlton man so um he was proud as punch and then obviously um yeah a few weeks later he lost his dad so um <clears throat> which was a really hard part for him to go through and I think everyone but um yeah obviously extremely proud of the way he's bounced back through a lot of stuff. Sammy, like, he's been a really successful story. Yeah. In,
0: um, I think even just touching on that now, in terms of, of guys that you've managed that you're not most proud of, but, yeah, I suppose most proud of and, and seen most growth in, um, he'd obviously be one of them. Um, who, yeah. Who else is is some guys that you've been really proud of in the way they've sort of bounced back that, you know, people wouldn't know about, um, you know, in the in in sort of more terms of, of public knowledge?
1: Well, it's, it's a hard one, mate, because... I, th- I think foot- footy, footy's a hard injury, mate. Life's a roller coaster, right? Like mm, nice. um, shit's not easy sometimes. So, and I think the hard part about footy is you have to be on all the time. So, if you're a guy that works or a person, I shouldn't say a guy, a person that works nine to five job, you can get through that work week vague. Like you can go in and just get your shit done, in and out, and don't communicate that many with people around you. But you- you're good to go. Um, or you know what you take the weekend off have a couple of sick days and you know you're good footy you just can't do that like you have to be mentally there you know people asking you questions in team meetings and um, you have to front up the play it's it's just um, it's not that easy sometimes to be present all the time so um, I think uh, being part of that and helping build people from an early age is one of the most rewarding parts about the job so and I've had a few boys that have um, Jesse Hogan, for example, he, he's had an incredible amount of things happen throughout his life that no one should have to go through. You know, he obviously lost his father and um, a couple of weeks later had testicular cancer. You know, like seeing, like that was as confronting as you'll ever get, like being in the hospital with him through that period. Like, um, yeah, I touched on Sam losing his dad. And um, yeah, I've had some really um, emotional times with players that on the back end of it, you know, it's satisfying getting through those really hard dips with them. Mm. So, um, yeah, um, there's there's a lot of players out there that will have personal stories that they don't want me to mention. But, um, yeah, and there's also players that I've managed in the past that have probably acknowledged. Had one call me four weeks ago and apologized to me and said, mate, I was a bit of a... Um, shit client for you and i put you through a lot of pain i, I want to apologize for the way i acted and a few different things and, and i still speak to him pretty half regularly but he's probably more and i was really proud of him that he's went and got some help and um he's back in, in a way so um yeah you, you go through all walks of life but it made it super rewarding
0: what about uh in terms of players we, we spoke of cripper earlier and i know that cripper's one that's you know one of your you know most work clients in terms of he's, he's probably the biggest one of the biggest guys you've got there and um, obviously very close with him. How would you explain Cripper as a as a person off field that people wouldn't know about that he'd be he'd be happy to talk about? Um, he's
1: he's incredibly competitive, dude. Just full stop. Like he's a beast. Um, but his want to get better in everything in his life. I don't reckon I've ever seen. From like like even mates around me and stuff like that. Like he literally gets up in the morning and he's like, right, how do I get better today? So, um, and you would have seen it training and and things like that. But it's probably off field stuff as well. Like he he jumps all into his finance stuff. He wants to get better and learn. He studies his ag science course, but he's doing the um, he's going to do post grad in psych. So he's developed a, a love for probably the competitive sort of nature of life in a way. So. He just did a course that I ended up doing as well called Compete to Create, which is a little bit around um, the mind and um, personal philosophy and um, a few things like that, which was really good. So, um, yeah, and that talks about like sleep recovery and and all a whole range of different things. Um, But he loves that stuff. He just wants to keep getting better and better. So, um, yeah, I think... um, He's a good example of someone that got drafted at pick 13 and realized he had deficiencies and if he didn't fix it up pretty quick he'd get flushed out the system and since then he's just picked it up and then any player that comes in he just grabs him and says this is how you get better.
0: Mm. I think it's a it's a pretty cool story just because I've seen it work from from his point of view I think you know at a time where Carlton was one of those teams where People think, uh, you know, I think from outside perspective that people think when you go to a bad club that's not performing, but you are a young draft pick, that it's going to be easy for you. But I actually think it's actually worse because you don't yeah. nearly have, you don't actually have the the leadership around you to develop into a player that you can get to. Um, you see, you know, that all these young yeah. players that go to teams like Hawthorne in the past that they have Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell around them to show them how to be good. Whereas when you you go to a team that's not going that well, it's normally a bit more of a Everyone just fighting there for himself, um, and I think you know a lot of players can use that as an excuse why they didn't necessarily get the most out of them, out of themselves. I've got
1: a bit of a theory on this, still. I've got a bit of a theory. Is it the same? I reckon. Go for it. Well, I actually reckon that um, some of the older boys in the list have gone through that really hard part and they know what it takes to get there. I reckon it's the list that have got a massive gap from ages 22 to 26 of guys that are actually continued to do that every single day and you can watch them and how they've, um, and how they're getting better. Where some of the older guys, like they might do Pilates in their own time or go to ice baths down at the beach cause they're kids and stuff like that. Um, and they pick up different things, but, um, yeah, I, I think, Cribb is at the good age because he's 24, you know, and or 25 or whatever he is now. But um, when he's like 22 to three, four, five, he the young boys now have been able to see how hard he's got there to get there. Yeah, for sure, so, and that's what
0: I think. What happened with with Carlton was there wasn't that gap mm. in the middle. Like we had, obviously, yeah, there was correct. the elite players above that were you know consistent performers at AFL and elite yep. elite guys like Murph and Simo and and um, yeah. and Juddy and whatnot. But then there was probably a gap mm. where when we were coming through there was, you know, a lot of us would just fall away to the VFL and and Cripper yep. played, you know, VFL. He got dropped. Like yeah. he you know, he actually yeah. was playing AFL. He was in and out. And like you said, it probably people don't believe this, but it actually he was getting dropped and was never given a game at all.
1: Yeah, mate. he's changed completely for the for good for the better. But um yeah, it's it's funny looking back at those times, isn't it?
0: I do want to talk about club loyalty. Because uh-huh. recently there was announced um, you know, guys are leaving free agency and this has happened twice. You know, when I was at Carlton, I remember Lockie Henderson said that he was going to leave and he was going to Geelong and, um, you know, Carlton pretty much, you know, they, they did. They cracked it at that stage and it was public knowledge. They pretty much said, okay, thank you. Like, see you later. You know, he left, you know, with sort of five or six games to go. Mm. Um, and it was reported again recently. I think that, that was was I that mutual?
1: Hendo's one? Oh, it was mutual. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: obviously mutual because he said he was he was leaving. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah with, with again with with the clubs at the, at the moment with the Giants. Yeah. Um, recently, there was an announcement that they'd sort of done the same thing. Um, look, I, I don't know how that went down. I honestly don't. But I just think from my point of view with with players leaving clubs, and just for reference for anyone that, that didn't say the article, it was basically saying that, um, you know, that the, the list management had pretty much said to players, you know, if you don't want to be here, then, you'd, you know, pretty much, you know, pack up and leave. And it, that sort of... So, you know, I thought about that from my point of view, and if I was on an AFL list now, and I think things are starting to take a turn in terms of players at clubs now um, and the ball being in the players' court or the ball being in the clubs' court. Like, I don't think that clubs can really demand that from from players. Like, I don't think that they should have to. Um, You know, clubs can trade players at will, they can delist players at will, but then they expect, uh, I'm not saying everyone expects this, but then, you know, in general, they expect players to be committed
1: to the clubs. Um, what's your view on that? Um, there's probably the other end of it too, that you don't see the loyalty that clubs give players behind the scenes. So there's probably contracts that go on or things that happen in footy clubs that aren't reported. So you probably only end up seeing one side where like there's two examples in the space of what, seven years, six years. And I'm sure there's many more, but um, to stick up for clubs, like there's a lot of things clubs do for players that no one will ever know off. So, um, yeah footy is becoming a bit of a business and i think players are starting to realize they need to look after themselves too and their families and get the most out of footy but um yeah i still think there's a lot of loyalty there mate like i look at some players that are, are in the system um, that have stuck fat at a club over a long period of time like you look at Murphy carlton for example like he probably had the chance to leave 10 times over for truckloads more money but Um, he never has and it probably hasn't been a great period for the club either you look at Nathan Jones from Melbourne like I I love those type of stories of guys that have just said you know what, I I bleed for this footy club I love it I'm not leaving Um, no matter who's come at any point and offered them way more money or opportunity for premierships and and things like that so um, but I think they get looked after on the flip side um, by the clubs hopefully they do um, of um, yeah getting that loyalty back
0: do you think that that's something though that's that's going to stay around like uh, is, you know naming those guys now murph nathan jones you think of scott pendery uh-huh. um, played you know he's a bit of an exception to the rule because he's an absolute goat and he's the captain of the club and, yeah. and just broke the games record but yeah. even cade simpson for example mm-hmm. going forward there's always going to be the exception to the to the rule but i don't know if players are going to be playing you know these one club players that play Three hundred to four hundred games for one club. Mm. I think now, even from a club point of view, it's going to be a bit more of a business in terms of if if there's going to be a t- team that's struggling, um, say like Carlton were um and have been for a while. If they were in the modern day now, would they have tried to trade off players to get younger draft picks, or would they still have been loyal to players?
1: That's a balance of list management, mate. I reckon is being able to say, well, do we actually need a couple of players to go to get some in? So, mm. um. And sometimes players might get a tap on the shoulder, which is the hardest part, especially they love the footy club. But it's very, very rare that a player that's really invested in a captain or um, that loves the place and wants it to get better and are going all right, gets a tap to say, hey, we're going to trade you because we might be able to get a couple of draft picks. Like, it doesn't really happen um, unless there's a lot of work that goes on the background to, to to manage that process. But there might be a drop-off, but I hope not. I love when players stay and it's the frustration for me a little bit is not the, the like not celebrating them enough in, Mm. in the footy world. Um, That, that gets to me a lot because players turn down a lot, a lot of money all the time to stay at footy clubs and you can't report it. Like it's not like I'm going to come out and say, well, my my player's been offered a million and signed for 700 um, over, you know, four or five years. He's, He's taken one and a half million less, you know, like um, to stay. You don't hear those stories, so it's hard to tell. But um, mm. there's so many of them out there and players are incredibly loyal. Um, and I suppose, like anything, there's a couple that might not not be as loyal that probably give it a bad name for a couple of others.
0: Baney in your opinion, mate, football in 2021, how's it different? Um, is there anything in the works at the moment in terms of if list management, management side player contracts um obviously we touched on list sizes earlier but um even salary wages i know the players have been cut down uh at the moment because of of covid-19 and what's been happening what what does it look like do you know what it looks like now
1: it will be no no one does but um it'll be different like the whole competition is changing like you look at the vfl program and the nab league and and different things like that it's definitely going to change but in what capacity we don't know mate hopefully this whole thing's over at the end of the year and you know, round one next year, it's full capacity. Um, and I think that'll settle a lot of people, but the money in football needs to start coming in because, um, yeah, a lot of clubs have been hurt and there's a lot of good people that um, have lost their jobs in footy this year, unfortunately, that um, isn't good at all. So hopefully money can start flowing in and building it back up to what what it's been.
0: Just um on that as well, at the moment, what is the current um contract's like for players? Is it still at 30% of their wage or...? Has it been brought up?
1: No, they're at 50, 50% cut. 50% so, cut. Um, I mean, if you look at it right across the full year, it's been 30% cut from October last year when when footy uh, wages start. But from when COVID hit, they've been at 50% the whole way through. So, um, And they're working through what next year looks like currently with the the AFLPA and how that deal looks with list sizes and everything. But I expect they'll probably like- have some cut next year, but I don't know what, what it'll be.
0: Mate, being a player manager, um, 10 years in the game, what what do you love about your job?
1: Um, we touched on it before, mate, the satisfaction you get out of it. And it's not necessarily... Some people think, oh, it must be amazing seeing players win flags and all that, and, and that's good. But, like, uh, yeah, getting the satisfaction out of the smallest little things, like, um, it'll sound cheesy, but, like, with... with someone buying their first home and, you know, people in their family haven't bought a house before and um, seeing the joy that brings to people. Like, looking at you now, mate, and the podcast you've built and little business and little side hustler and, um, yeah, it's just little wins along the way. that get you so pepped up. Like, you you get the the best job satisfaction out of it. It's not funny. So, um, yeah, I reckon that's the biggest part of it. And building relationships. Like, I love um, the relationships. Footy's a good sport because... There's a lot of good people in it, and, and as you know, and you've gone from an environment where you, you've had so many people and made so many good friendships along the way, life-long friendships. So, yeah, building them with people and being really close and knowing that you've got their back through the shittest times in their life, um, yeah, it's it's really rewarding.
0: Bane Train, thank you very much for coming on the Dylan Friends podcast. It's been very insightful, my friend. I wish I knew half of this stuff when I was in the game, but it's uh, it's never too late to to know this. Um, thanks again best of luck in the trade period Um, hopefully make some big deals and um, I'm looking forward to continuing our, our friendship for a long time
1: love it mate thanks for having me
0: Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. I know we're all in quarantine, but that doesn't mean we need to stop taking care of ourselves. We've all been guilty of letting things slide of late, but in saying that, it's time to get back on track. And that means being well-groomed. Dylan Friends this week is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped has only just launched in Australia, so now you can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Water-resistant, 90-minute shaves, and LED lights, just to name a few specs. We've all heard some horror stories of not using the right products, so let's look after ourselves with Manscaped. You'll be a new man. So jump on board, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DILL123 at manscaped.com. The link will be in the show notes.